And it's lights out on another episode of At Flippin' F1, where this time the circus finds its way to Qatar, a country that I can't even spell, much less actually properly pronounce. So we're going to just jump right into it because there's lots of tinfoil hat action to go on, lots of racing to talk about, and lots of post-race action in which someone got basically the douchebag call, which was awesome. All right, so let's get into it. Of course, every week we analyze this week's race and break it down by way of culture, couture, and other stuff using some fun games. And I say fun games, but really we only do one. But as always, our panel's together here, starting with our ever-affable and always enjoyable professor. What's going on, man? I'm good. I seem to be the tinfoil hat master these days, but, you know, I'm good. I'm enjoying this. This is a lot of fun. It's a lovely Sunday night after a Grand Prix and lots to talk about. Yeah, man, you were given some Q-level tinfoil hat action. That was pretty wild. I was like, I was waiting for it to go even further. I think I was just trying to build the bait, let's be honest. Of course, of course. As always, we've got our view from the left side. Spence, what's going on, man? Not too much, Randy. Just recovering after another early morning, which I, I did my best to get up for, but I ended up pulling a stack house and just slept through the whole thing. How could you with the text messages we were sending you? I don't know how I missed all of that, because there were probably a solid 50 <laughs> messages when I woke up from my nap on the couch. Not to mention the hour and a half of post-race chin-wagging that I slept through and, you know, David Croft yelling at me from, from the TV for an hour and a half before that. Anyway, it just didn't happen for me today, so I watched the race this afternoon. Ah, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm actually kind of loving these races being back at 9 a.m., because I'm like... My day is back to structure again. I don't really get dropped off at the wrong time after missing the whole damn thing because I'm an idiot. So that worked out all right. And of course, as always with us, our barrister of balance, the solicitor of speed, our technical man, Gareth Stackhouse. What's going on, man? Oh, I've been having so much fun with the uh, FIA official documents today. Oh my goodness. There's so many of them floating around these days. I don't think I've ever read these things before this week. Oh, they're fantastic. They're revealing and they went so far as to basically call Horner a douchebag, but not actually put it in writing. Sorry, I thought that we were now calling him Spice Boy. I thought that well, was Well, I, I had to him. introduce him so Phil would understand who Spice Boy is in the context of Formula One. <laughs> I won't lie, it took me a while, but it was the second that somebody said there were two Spice Boys there because Beckham was there. And I was like, oh, I get it now. You know, you, you, I mean, I'm you remember slow the Spice the Girls, record. Bill. They were that popular music group you were shaking your fist at in your late 40s. I was going to say, that was well before my time. And I am only in my late 40s, goddammit. Are you into your late 40s? I'm in my, well, like, my mid-40s, 45. If you really want to put a date say, on it, I'll like, put it on there. Yeah, no, he's a man who will tell you what he wants, what he really, really wants. And the funny thing is, Gareth has been calling him Spice Boy all season long, which is the best part. Today just seems to be the day everybody noticed. Yeah, I had not picked up on it until today. I was ignoring Gareth most of the time. It's not even my term. It's yeah. definitely something that I've read in the media in years past. Spice Boy Christian Horner. All right, let's get into it then, man. So, you know, there's no history this week, Professor, because Qatar is new. Not one at all. I mean, I can tell you about the track. It's been around since 2004, and it's mostly been used for motorcycle races, and they are early formulas and sort of GT racing type series. Nothing super special about that at all. It's an interesting track with a very long straight, and then, as I like to make sure Gareth knows, a lot of twiddly bits. 
But yeah, I, I don't know. When I first saw the map and I hadn't actually seen anything race there, I was like, okay, it could be interesting. But I wasn't super impressed with the circuit at all. Yeah, no, when I looked at the track outline, it reminded me of the restaurant Taco Time or something like that. Like it, it just looked like this tiny little cactus thing that was very cute that I've seen other things that's been compared you to. You sent the cartoon graphic on Twitter on, on our chat, which I thought was, yeah, that looks exactly like that cartoon image, you know? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, clearly uh, a couple of racers have been there before. Mazepin has raced there in F2, so he knew exactly how to lose with record time. He mastered that technique. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And Checo's been there before. I think he's won there. Yeah. Not that he remembered it, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking back in like late 2000, just before 2010, when Checo was there last. Yeah, apparently he was there in 2009 and did not remember yeah. at all. Fair enough. It's a memorable circuit. What can we say? I hear you. Stax, tell us a little bit about some of the technical specs that we were expecting this weekend. What were they setting up for? Setting up for the kind of the great unknown. It is a very high speed, high demand circuit. It looks like a kind of lumpy cartoon starfish, I think, is the cartoon you sent us. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of uh, big kind of sweeping curves. There's not a lot of uh, like slow speed sections at all. So we were expecting a lot of tire demand, a lot of wear on the tires, especially the front left tire that, you know, they're turning right a whole bunch as it's a clockwise circuit. So we were expecting that lower downforce, but we also had a little bit of extra wing controversy. It was effectively wing night the FIA garage this weekend, all week, yeah. given some of the uh, the shenanigans in the last couple of races. There was a lot of flap about flaps. Yeah, Flapping sure. about flaps, maybe we can get to in the stewarding sewer. Everybody just kind of said, well, let's set it up and see how we go. Nobody knew how the cars were going to react, whether or not anybody could race closely, he could pass. Turned out there's kind of one place to pass, maybe two. The first corner and the second corner. That was about it. Spence, give us a bit of a geography lesson, because frankly, you know, I can't even spell guitar, much less know where it is. Or yeah, There's no U after the Q, Randy. No U after the Q. It's the Canadian spelling. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's a bit of a, um, it seems like a place that people in North America kind of struggle with the pronunciation of. Is it Quitar or Qatar or Cutter? Like we hear so many different things, like depending on which news station you're listening to. But it's in the Middle East, like the other tracks that we're going to be going to here at the end of the season. Another place that has seen incredible development in the last couple of decades, funneled by uh, incredible oil wealth in the country. Again, like a lot of the other places we're going to, not kind of world leading in terms of human <laughs> rights and, and things like yeah. that, I think to put it mildly. But on that front, I, I will say that Hamilton, to his credit, had a pretty awesome helmet this week, I thought. It had the rainbow flag on it. You know, it also I had think the trans flag on show it some well. support. Like he, was, he was going all out for the LGBTQ yeah. plus community. Yeah, exactly, which I thought was pretty great. So it seems like a, a modern city probably would be fun to go to a race there. But if you're asking me to spend my money on a trip to a race in the Middle East, I'm probably still going to go to Yas Marina. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. I'm with you. I mean, I don't know if I get a little so. No, I, I was just going to say, coupling on, and we can talk about the, the sports washing here, but homosexuality is a crime that's punishable by the death penalty in Qatar. And this is where the World Cup's being held next year. So it was great of Lewis Hamilton to do that. And it's one of these places where we say, mm. Why do we need to go there? And it sparks a bigger debate. And there's been a lot of chatter about that. The one other thing I'd point out is this is kind of the one and only appearance we're ever going to see of this LaSalle International Circuit. Qatar is not on the calendar next year for 2022. And it is on the calendar for a 10-year contract from 2023 for 10 years after that. 
and they're supposed to do a new purpose-built circuit for it. So this is kind of our one shot at this motorcycle track in the desert. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think we should also call out Steb because, I mean, while Lewis's was a, a fairly all-encompassing helmet, Steb did a full-on trans-flag helmet, which was really great to see in between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it made a statement. You know, I didn't know that it was punishable by death. I knew that it was problematic, but I hadn't been aware of that. And that's that's pretty terrible. That's what Wikipedia has told me. That and apostasy it's the formal disaffiliation from a, a religion, also punishable mm. by death. So... And blasphemy, you can get up to 10 years in jail for that. So it's definitely a place where there's been a wider conversation. Stefano Domenicali, he's the head of Liberty Media's Formula One division, the commercial rights holder. He went on a bit of a press tour about this. I don't know if anybody saw, he did an interview with Sky, where you know, it effectively was, we know there are problems. We hope by bringing sports that we can help people move forward. Yes, we're taking the money which has kind of been the attitude of F1 and, and the party line forever. I was going to say, it's been the attitude of Formula One since the beginning of time, you know. Hi, Bernie. <laughs> How you can afford his beautiful place in Brazil. Yeah. And Switzerland yeah. and England. And, and anywhere else you stole money from, yeah. yeah. So it's problematic to say the least. And we see things like Qatar is hosting the World Cup next year, China, where tennis stars disappeared. That's in the news right now. But we have a bigger problem of well, you're probably committing genocide with Uyghur populations. And do we want international sporting events to go to places like this? Yeah, I think that's a big conversation. I think we're going to do an episode at the end of the year on big conversations like this mm -hmm. one. Because I think it's worth interrogating, right? You know, why take a race to China? Why take a race to Qatar or Saudi Arabia? I mean, outside of the cash is king argument, which is kind of ultimately what it does come down to, right? Is it washing out or attempting to apologize for some of these things that are truly problematic? I mean, is it really attempting to apologize or is it attempting to bring a new element to these places and through that, through those conversations, drive change? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's the debate that we'll have at the end of the season. Yeah. And, and we just pointed out two individual actors who are trying to drive change on this. Yeah. using their platforms yeah and obviously you know formula one's got the end racism campaign but we'll park this to the end of the year i just i find it problematic and you kind of compare and contrast to what happened with the south african grand prix during apartheid it was taken away mm -hmm. and again we can come back to that and we, we don't see that level of, of involvement at all and then you've got sponsors and the sponsor in this case is a mobile phone provider who you know has the contract to provide mobile phones in myanmar yeah, you know, and we're going to get comments in the comment section, too, about like, why didn't we have this conversation about Texas and the laws there? You could have this conversation about every country that Formula One races in. Why are you coming to Canada? Like, you know, they're killing indigenous kids. Yeah, I was yeah. just about to say, like, this is going to come up about Montreal, yeah. which I'm glad to see back on the calendar next year. And hopefully all four of us will be there. But yeah, it's worth the conversation Definitely. for sure. That's it, Spence. Tell us about, I don't know if you caught any of this, but any of the cultural elements or things like that, or maybe people we would have seen on the grid or waving the flags or things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it seemed like to me, like watching the race this afternoon, there were certainly people from a bunch of different parts of the world who had made the trip or maybe they're, they're kind of resident there There's anyway. There's a big expat community in Qatar. Yeah. Yeah. So like I saw a lot of Mexicans there looked like they were cheering on uh, Checo. A lot of people wearing orange, probably cheering on that Verstappen guy. A lot guy. of British fans. Yeah, a lot of Union Jacks there. So it could be some amount of people traveling, like Gareth <laughs> said, big expat community in that part of the world. So could have been that too. But there were also a couple of celebs, I think, that we saw. We've already mentioned David Beckham, 
was hanging around the McLaren yeah, garage. There was actually yeah, a, um, because of the World Cup of Soccer, there was a penalty shootout kind of contest Saturday night that, that happened with David Beckham and a bunch of other soccer stars. Yeah, I said George Lucas there too, who I think we've seen he, that F1 races before. F1 I'm assuming he must yeah. be a big fan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And the fellow who waved the checkered flag, he, he was a, I think, an Olympic sprinter. He was an Olympic Wasn't he, Randy? Yeah. Olympic high jumper. He's an Olympic high, high jumper. High jumping yeah. partner. Yeah, he's won several gold medals in both the Olympics and the World Championships. He's competing for Qatar. And he, yeah, I mean, as an athlete, like, no doubt he belonged on that platform waving that flag. Like, he is a stunning competitor to watch. It is really something. What is his name? I'm trying to look Google it up it as right we speak. Now, yeah. Randy being the track and field enthusiast amongst us. So yeah, there were celebs on, there was also in, you know, what I'm going to call Formula One celebrities. The fans are back in the paddock. And I'm on record. I love Ted's notebook, the behind the scenes. An old British guy with glasses and notebook kind of stumbles around, says awkward things and tells us what's going on. Oh, there's hope for me yet then. So I'm going to get this name wrong, but it, I've just always known him as Barsham, who is waving that flag. He's actually a record-holding high jumper, and he really belonged up there, right? One of the great stories about Barsham from the last Olympics was he tied with Italy's Gianmarco for the gold medal. And normally, like, not to get too technical in a high jump, but, like, it comes down well, to... Well, this is the Flipping F1 Technical High Jump Podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it comes down to, like, number of jumps and this, that, the next thing, and they were supposed to have a jump off, and the two of them are just <clears throat> great friends from two very different parts of the world, very different approaches to the world, and the two of them talked to the officials and just said, look, can we just share the gold medal? Like, there's really no reason for us to compete any further. Like, we have taken this competition as far as it should go, and in the spirit of camaraderie, in the spirit of the Olympic Games, let's share it. And the officials said, yeah. I mean, the images from it, if you look it up, are just astounding, right? Like, they're just so happy to be celebrating this thing. And he's the kind of person that I think, yeah, I would want on on that platform, waving that flag. Because he does really, as problematic as Qatar may be culturally, amongst great things, amongst great people that have, Come out of there. That was a story that, that just stuck with me from the Summer Olympics. It was great. Really impressive. So by way of analogy, Randy, is that uh, Formula One subtle hint to Max and Lewis they should just tie and split the world championship? That'll never happen in Formula I One. I would love to see that. It's never going <laughs> to happen. Happened. It's going to come down to some half point from that race in, what was it, Hungary or? Belgium. Belgium, Belgium. yeah, right? It's going to be the count back for like who finished fifth the most or something like that. Yeah, it'll be something stupid like that. And, you know, ultimately it'll come down to the Tin Hat Brigade telling us that this is a total crock because of these sporting regulations. Not a crock, it's just a Netflix rigged programming. They're not rigging, it's called writing film. Reality oh, TV has rigging, writing. writing. I mean, you know, it's all a matter of opinion, right? One person's writing the script, the other one's rigging the sports, which is really the same thing. Again, Liberty Media is run by a bunch of professional wrestling alumni. It's still a possibility, though, to be going into Abu Dhabi with things tied, right? Absolutely. And definitely a possibility that after Abu Dhabi, we could be tied. And the tiebreaker goes to what? Is it whoever has the most, most first wins. place finishes? Or? It's on yeah. countback, like wins. Yeah, and then most and seconds. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I can't wait. Because like, you just start to see it on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else, like, the countbacks on the possible differentials, that's going to be hilarious. I can't wait. Here are all the different combinations and permutations of this. Uh, this is going to be fun. It's going to come down to mathematics, which I don't mind. It's not so bad. But that said, 
while we're at it, let's get into the tinfoil hat brigade. So, Professor, go off. Do your thing, Oh, no, man. don't tell me to go off yet. I'm not even ready. I can't remember all the things I texted you as we were going through. Let's start off with... Um... They're not going to put out a safety car because that would disadvantage that... Mercedes-Benz. Well, no, it's not just that they're going to disadvantage Mercedes-Benz. They're not going to put out a safety car because they've got the Aston Martin as a safety car. How many times have we seen the Aston Martin safety car compared to the number of times we've seen a Mercedes-Benz safety car? I'm just saying. I think we've only seen it when it breaks down. Well, <laughs> maybe that's why I can't go out. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, that is our Aston Martin sponsorship out the grain as well. We love you, Continental. <laughs> well, Lord Stroll wasn't going to back up the money truck anyway. I don't think we're big fans of Lance. Yeah, I know. Might as well just keep going with that train. Uh, no, I, it was kind of somewhat a joke as I was saying that. But, you know, really, we haven't seen the Aston Martin safety car out as many times as it's been at the track. When they do safety cars, they tend to do virtual ones when that one's around, for some reason. The sports aficionados will tell me that it's because of the complexity of the incidents that are happening as to whether or not they yes. send out a safety car. You didn't need a safety car today to recover Latifi's car. A VSC was just fine. Yeah, but the safety car would have helped. would have been so interesting. That would have brought the pack together. So what you're saying, Phil, is you would have preferred if the Netflix writers had written in a safety car rather than a VSC. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to rig it, let's just, let's go for the full-on, you know. Uh, Phil wanted a one-lap sprint at the end. Yes. To make it, like, basically a Hollywood movie. Absolutely, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it was needed either, but that's fair. <laughs> like, no, my favorite of Phil's theories was that there was a marshal sitting on the button waiting for Max to get just into the zone to go from yellow to double yellow and just somehow hit it in time. But hold on. Are you subscribing to the rogue marshal theory? I, I would like to say, I think Christian Horner heard that theory because I think he subscribed to the same theory as well, and that's what got him into trouble with the stewards, right? Like, it was, like, Q-level tinfoil hat. So tell us what you think happened, Phil, because this is just funny as hell. Well, no, it's not necessarily what I think happened, but I mean, when you play it back, and I did play back and watch and everything like that, it was just interesting timing of how nothing had really changed for where Gasly was on the circuit, but Science goes across, gets, you know, there's the yellow flag incident with Science, Bottas gets the same thing, but for Verstappen, it's a double-waved yellow, okay, maybe, whatever. But they do three different things for three different drivers, and I get the technical piece, Gareth, before you start laying into the whole legality elements of it. All right. He's on mute, which is even better. Do you want me to read you stewarding decision documents, Philip? No, I don't, <laughs> because I'll be asleep, and so will all six of our current listeners. Don't make me read you the legal. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll come back there and read you the legal. I'll read you the minutia, Philip. And then I'll explain to you the minutia in minute detail. Oh, I know there's minutia, and I understand that. But I mean, timing really, when you look at it, and I, I had to laugh when they said that signs lifted. Obviously, we don't get the telemetry, so I understand. Maybe they get something that we don't get. But if you go and you listen... I think they get a lot of data that we don't get, Phil. Well, absolutely. That's probably why they're stewards and we're not. Well, exactly. Potentially a piece or two. I understand that. But, you know, when I'm listening, the only things we can do is listen. We're commenting as, as the fans here. I'm listening <laughs> to the engines. There is no change in the engine note for science as he passes gasoline. None. He's flat out. All right. So to say that he lifted, that's a load of crock. What exactly is a load of crock? The ruling. 
that he lifted, and therefore he didn't get a <laughs> no, he didn't no, get a penalty. I, I think Phil that uh, Gareth, our technical guy, wants to understand exactly what crop oh, is right. yeah. and how one loads it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to explain the legalese on this one. No, it's a load of crap. Because I usually think you might have a crock of something, but not a load of crock. Jesus. Well, I mean, I think if you're transporting Crocs, then you do have a load of Croc. But that's that's CRO. So you got to get permit for that stuff unless you're in Florida. You know what? I'm going to move us on. Randy, let's take us to the first segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We've got to do one more because this was easily the best tinfoil hat of the moment. I don't think even we even recognized it on our chat was uh, Jasper Stappen basically intimating that Lewis was on some kind of performance enhancer, which of course turned out to be hair clips. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I have missed this. Please fill yeah. me in. I missed this me. too. Oh I have my no, God. I have no knowledge of this one. Randy. This is all you, Randy. Oh, this was great. Josh Verstappen giving an interview to, I don't know who it was. We'll have to look it up afterwards, but gives this interview. He's like, oh, well, before they got in the car, I saw Angela walk up to him and press something on his head. And, oh, God, I think something is really happening here and, and something is really wrong. It was like, yeah, OK, good. So there are now performance enhancing drugs in F1 because steroids really make you steer better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those performance enhancing hair clips, Randy. Well, this is it, right? I was like, it was unbelievable. And it was funny. What alerted me to it when I'm bored, I read F1 Twitter and Somebody had tweeted, like, hair clips. He's complaining about hair clips. And I was like, what? Okay. So I, like, went down the rabbit hole and, like, read the interview. I was like, no way he said this. But sure enough, reported four or five, like, reputable spots. And Joss is intimating that Lewis is on some kind of performance enhancer. And I was like, oh, man, I'm saving that one, right? The end of the year, Horner protests that Lewis is not human and therefore should not be in an F1 car. And therefore, Mercedes has an advantage. Like, what the hell? Come on, guys. Really? <laughs> like... This is where I'll say it is all going to shit. All these crazy theories, all this stupidity that's in all these appeals that are going on. I mean, this is the sport almost killing itself. It's not fun to watch or listen sometimes. That made my week. Phil's tweet around kindergarten for billionaires. Am I wrong? Awesome. Am I wrong? Anybody disagree with this? I didn't think so. Hearing nothing. For those listening, you know, Gareth is shaking his head. Spence is trying to look up the Joss Verstappen quote on Lewis. But yeah, no, there's no disagreement, right? These guys have lost the plot. And I agree with you to a certain degree that the influence of Netflix doing what they do, because you hashtagged F1 is run by Netflix or something like that. I do agree that Netflix has now added a new narrative and a new way of gamesmanship that is just like, you know what? I don't want to see F1 Survivor just Play the damn sport. You know, if you've got a complaint in the moment, okay, yeah, fine. But now we've got two weeks between races. Do I need to read two weeks of Spice Boy and Email Master going back and forth? Like, Email yeah, Master. I was, I was just going straight with, you know, the wolf himself. But no, I think we're in line for that. I think we've got two weeks of the two of them literally trying to antagonize each other and draw issue through the FIA or through Formula One with regards to each other's teams. And that's where you go back to the great times and even when Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher were fighting and competing in Formula One, it was never like this. Frank was never this petty about things and certainly Ross Braun never was. So, I mean, this is a lot of BS really at the end of the day. 
So, Phil, for our listeners who are new to the sport, when you say Frank, tell us who you're talking about and, like, who Ross Braun is and what their relationship was. Sorry, in that context, I'm talking about Frank Williams, who was the owner and founder of Williams Racing, and uh, Ross Braun, who's currently one of the directors within the Liberty Media Formula One group. But at the time, he was the, I don't know, technical director, managing director, or technical director, I guess, of the Ferrari Formula One team. And this was Michael Schumacher and Damon Hill going at each other. I think we're talking, roughly speaking, 96, 97? Yeah. yeah. I'm actually 95, thinking... 95, 96. 95, yeah, 95, 96. And I'm actually thinking Benetton and uh, Ross Braun was with Benetton at the time. This was the, the Benetton saga. Benetton and Williams. Right on. Now, this has really always interested me, and I think it might interest some of our listeners, right? Because I know in other sports, it's kind of easy to understand how one becomes a general manager or a principal of a team. I mean, F1 calls them principals. In North American sport, we call them general managers, right? And usually it's some kid who's come up through the ticket uh, ticket sales and then has failed up into executive manager of this and then becomes like, director of player operations and then just because they've got some kind of business savvy or because they've just been there then all of a sudden they're named general manager right and i don't know that it works that way in f1 so tell us more about how like how some of these you guys know, have come to be principals. i think randy now nowadays it's more of that you look at people like zach brown who who sort of come into the sport from previous eras. Christian Horner even comes up from running junior teams and, and sort of friends. Well, and Zach and... came in because he's like a marketing sponsorship guy. Yeah, but I mean, they've worked their way in within, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when you talk, I mean, if you look back, owners of these teams, people like Frank Williams and things like that, and there's a great documentary for Frank Williams where he was building cars for other teams with leftover parts. Yeah, they were Formula One and automotive enthusiasts. Yeah. Like, Eddie Jordan was a used car dealer. Yeah. Yeah, he was like the Carroll Shelby of Formula he One, was. basically. This guy who just built for other people. He was, yeah. and then, you know, he sort of he was able to get in and get some lucky moves and lucky arrangements and, and deals and everything like that, and was able to actually get his own Formula One team off the ground with Patrick Head and everybody like that at the time. I mean... Braun had its own team for a little while, did it not? Ross Braun um, did, but that was only because he was the team principal for Honda F1 when it was back in 2008. And they pulled right. out and at the 11th hour. And, and basically him and the Stephen Fry for one year took what was left and what they could salvage from the Honda arrangement and built Braun F1, which ultimately actually is the foundation of your favorite team in existence, which is Mercedes. Yeah, and that makes sense. And frankly, I would love to hear Stephen Fry commentate a race again, because that would be absolutely just wonderful. Oh, man, that guy's so fun. Anything else that kind of came up in the conspiracy theory tin hat conversations this week? I, I don't use Twitter, so I don't see these conspiracy theories except for you guys. So no. In all fairness, I just make it up to get us all going, really. Andrew, did you see anything worthy of tinfoil hats this week? Well, I want to know why Valbot retired the car. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think they really told us why. I think we would. I would have assumed they would have left him out there to try to nip the fastest lap and keep Red Bull from getting that point. But I don't know what happened there. So to give a little context to what uh, Spence is talking about, Valbot retired the car. Valerie Bottas uh, retired the car at, at roughly about lap what you know six seven laps to go. I think we heard the radio call. Hey, yeah, we're going to retire the car. And it was right in the middle of exactly when we were, we should have been hearing, hey, look, come in, get some soft tires on and go for that lap and steal the damn points. 
So I don't know why they retired it either. So I've got to assume that this is uh, Liberty, right? Trying to keep that constructor's uh, race as tight as they can, right? And Red Bull needed the yep. point, yep. so can't let Valbot go get it and take it from Red Bull. So I guess that's what happened. Boy, are we digging here. Are we digging here, Spencer? <laughs> hey, my, my tinfoil hat is fully erect right now. Listeners, you can't see it right, but Phil looks so proud of Spence right now. It's awesome. <laughs> You're learning so much. He's grinning like a proud papa. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, it's time to get into our regular segment. Bingo! And it's time to play Box, 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 Bingo, where we all make very, very poorly educated prognostications. And Gareth wins every time. There are nine boxes. Each box has something different. The middle box always has Mazaspin or Mazabin because it's the one thing we can almost always count on. Except Schumacher did it this weekend during practice, so that kind of sucked. But generally, normally we get a bunch of prognostications on the board. This time around, we did it by text because none of us were really up to getting onto the mural. And by that, I mean I didn't get it done in time. So let's talk quali in the first box. Predicted top five. How did we do? And this is actually where things started to go nuts. All right, Professor, start us up. How'd you do on your quali box? Uh, well, I mean, I had predicted that we would have Bottas, Hamilton, Verstappen, Gasly, and Perez. And then I'm assuming we're taking the grid is actually the starting grid itself, right? Not where they qualify, so to speak. Of course. After of course. penalties, it's the grid. In which case, I am just as I always am, pretty much I suck. <laughs> you know, Hamilton was actually first, which is great. Gasly was second, so at least I had those two in there. And then from there on out, you know, we were pushing the names further down the list. Yeah, it was wild. So tell us more about what happened, what shook up the grid again for our listeners. So this is a, that penalty with Pierre Gasly at the last lap of the qualifying, having a tire problem. And uh, well, it was a front wing problem, really. Front wing problem that caused a tire problem. He broke his front wing, his front wing broke his tire, and then he came to a stop kind of at the start-finish line. There we go. Legal expert has stepped yeah. in to make sure that I say the right thing. <laughs> You're welcome. So he stopped on the pit straight. Basically, Valtteri we had a single yellow flag waving at the time, flew by, and didn't slow down. So he got a three-space grid penalty. Max apparently had a double-waved yellow flag and didn't slow down. So he got a five-grid place penalty. And Carlos Sainz also flew by Gasly, but is reported to have showed some sense of caution by slowing down, which I really would dispute. Anybody can prove me wrong on that. I'd be happy to, to hear that. So, yeah. Just something to bring up. What is a yellow flag? What does a single flag mean? What does a double flag mean? Yeah, tell us, Gareth. I'm so glad you asked, Randy. Why, thank you. Uh, a yellow flag is a you know, caution flag. It's like the middle signal on the stoplight. It does not mean speed up. It doesn't? <laughs> a single flag means you've got to slow down. You've got to slow down because there's something going on on track. A double waved yellow is kind of, not only is there something going on, but you got to be prepared to stop or take evasive action. Double waved yellows are more serious than a single waved yellow. Don't double wave flags have like a certain uh, percentage of speed, like they need to slow down to or something like that? Yes, yeah. so 40%. Yeah. 40% speed reduction for a double-waved yellow. And that's obviously with the telemetry. There are what are called mini-sectors on the track, like every, I think it's 50 or 100 meters, basically. And the FIA can monitor that very accurately. And the reason for this is, in the past, we have had drivers and marshals killed. 
because people were on the track and cars hit them. Right. So it's taken very seriously. And because it's a quantitative measure, you've got to slow down so much or you have to appear to have lifted if it's a, a single flag. It's very much kind of a black and white penalty. It's like the penalty that Mercedes got at Brazil about the wing. Like it's, it's a technical penalty. You're either in spec or you're out of spec. If you're out of spec, you get a penalty. Right. It's a safety thing. So it's the one thing that's actually somewhat consistent <laughs> across the stewards. Because it's quantitative. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And now, so a VSD or a virtual safety car is double yellows across the entire track? Yes. Yeah. yeah it, essentially. And what the VSC gives, it's the, um, well, it's, it's like at your bachelor party, Randy, where we went go-karting on the electric go-karts and we were being too aggressive and they hit the button and we all couldn't go nearly as fast. It's basically the same thing. The FIA throws the VSC and everybody has to slow down to a certain time delta for each sector, mini sector. And you're not allowed to obviously overtake anybody. And then at some random point, they will say the VSC is ending. And then there's a random amount of time. And then the VSC ends and you can go again. But surely like the FIA doesn't have like some button that actually slows their engine down, no, do they? No, sadly, no. Yeah, okay. No. Okay. Well, that'd be dangerous, actually. That's why it's sadly probably... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get it. There's a bunch of guys doing math or a bunch of men and women, sorry, doing math on the They're side. Probably telling them, okay, you slow down there. And we're not going to gender the computer, Randy. Well, okay, so fine, whatever. The added confusion on this is with Max, especially, and I would argue probably with the other two as well, there wasn't any clear notification, and the yellow actually had cleared itself within the system, even though the marshal was waving the flag. Well, wasn't that the RBR defense? That yeah, was RBR's defense. And it happened real fast. But it wasn't just happened real fast. It <laughs> happened, and it cleared itself. Yeah. Yeah, But if, if you're watching the qualifying at home, it was very interesting because I think we saw yellow flag, sector three, green flag, double waved yellow, green flag, waved yellow. It was very confusing. Yeah, uh, I think Sky F1 has a great video. It was either Sky or the FIA itself about how the marshalling system works. So when we say the flag, there, there is actually somebody out there waving a flag through a gap in the fence. But there's also somebody else, another marshal. The marshals work in teams. I usually think three or four more who has an electronic box with all these different buttons where they can press them and that triggers the yellow flag, the double waved yellow, the red flag, the whatever flag they need. And that links back to race control. So it may have been for the, the staff and thing, Phil, the double waved yellow flag was being waved, but the button might not have been hit because when the button is hit, the drivers get notifications on their dashes or steering wheels. And that was part of the Red Bull defense that Phil mentioned where well, he didn't see it here. And if you read the FIA decision, the FIA decision links back to the sporting code that says driver has to drive the car unaided. They're required you know, at the end of the day to look at the flag. Even if we've got all these kind of electronic bits and bobs that are supposed to assist you, you have to look at the flags. I did notice that language that the driver needs to drive unaided. Yeah. Article 27.1 of the sporting regulations, driver must drive the car alone unaided. Appendix H of the code states that flags and lights have the same meaning, and hence a flag signal must be complied with. All right. So the guy hitting the double yellow button screwed Phil's prognostications. What about you, Spence? Well, look, I got boned just as badly as Phil did. I had Falbot, Verstappen, Hamilton, Gasly, and Perez. And uh, yeah, I had, I had Hamilton and Gasly in the wildly wrong order. Other than that, I had nothing. So it wasn't a great start for me. What about you, Stack? I did the same thing as Phil, actually, where three of our top five drivers did not make the top five. 
Verstappen and Bottas were out with yellow flag penalties on the grid. And then Sergio Perez really outshone himself and qualified 11th. He didn't even make Q3. Well, that's fair, that's fair enough. Copying from Phil is how I passed university. So that's, it worked out all right. So That explains a lot about you, Randy. Yeah, he's laughing because he knows that I took theater in school, so it doesn't matter anyways. Yeah, no, I had Hamilton at the top of the thing too, but I had Leclerc coming through and that did not happen for me at all in this quality but oh man somebody else who didn't make q3 but it was actually very interesting qualifying some big names did not get out of q2 yeah leclerc nope. ricardo perez right which totally changed things up before the penalties and then like penalties applied like who the hell would have called alonso starting the grid in three right like gasly's always going to be there to take up the spots if people get penalized but alonso that was great I think I said today he hasn't been that far up an F1 grid since Bush was president. Might be a bit of an exaggeration, but my God, it's been a Were long time. Were you alive when Bush was president? I'm just saying. Phil was 45, uh, so... Just, yeah. just to be clear, the last time Alonzo was on the podium, I believe it was 2014. Yeah, Obama. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 Obama. Let's, let's go back that far. So back when Phil was a mere 65 years old. Something like that. He was just learning how to play Canasta then. How did I become the flipping F1 punching bag? That's the only thing I want to know. That's just what you get for being the old man, man. <laughs> I'm going to say we're going to lead with your attitude and follow up with your face. Strong words coming from you. Oh, boy. Love you, Phil. Really, really here in flipping F1, folks. Thank God you can't see any of us. So, okay, let's talk about that, right? Because that grid ends up being Hamilton, Gasly, Allo, and then what, Norris in fourth? And then who do we have? Sainz in fifth, Bottas in sixth, Verstappen starts seventh. This is getting really interesting to me. Like, let's talk Ferrari, Phil, because I was not expecting, like, I've been looking for Leclerc to just own this season in the Prancing Horses, but Carlos has actually really showed up and it's really come about. I went on a rant about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, Gareth went on a rant about this a few weeks ago, and, and I think I said this as well, and because I, I was actually listening to one of the podcasts again the other day. You know, Ferrari has two equal drivers, and they are very equal, both Sainz and, and Leclerc. And I think that's why Leclerc is not running away with anything from that perspective. The other thing I'll say is I think Ferrari, and it's notorious for this, I, I, I love the team. It is one of my favorite Formula One teams, but they are notorious for not always having all the right parts at the right place so to speak, so not having all the right players where they need to be, and making some crazy calls that at times can really work in their favor, but most of the time, they just fall short. Phil, how dare you lose us our Ferrari sponsorship? What the hell? <laughs> I'm just being honest, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> they were so close, and now they're going over to motorsport, damn it. I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Who's left? Who do we have left? Haas? Is that, is that the only team that's going to sponsor us? No, now? no. We, we, we still have Stellantis sponsorship. It's a great yeah. uh, anti-cholesterol drug. Flippin' F1 <laughs> is brought to you by Speedy, because at Speedy, somebody's a somebody. And that's funny, because only our Canadian fans will actually get that joke. So. <laughs> Fan singular. Let's go to the bottom five of the grid, because I got completely screwed again by Sunoda, who spins out any weekend. I put him on the top five, and then I put him on the bottom five, and he shows up in a Q3. Like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, you did screw that up. I, I get a million points because I got it right. I just would have inverted Latifi and Giovinazzi, but 
Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, Latifi, Schumacher, and Mazepin, of course, were the bottom five. So uh, I would have been right. Me. There's only one problem. When I typed it in, I'm looking at it now, and I realize that instead of Matt. Matt for Latifi, I wrote Matt. I don't know who the hell Scra- Matt is, but I expected him to be in the bottom. Well, <laughs> as we established earlier, spelling counts. As you say, it's like, I'm sorry, Matt. I know you wanted this drive, and Phil was rooting for you, but too bad Latifi got it. So, yeah. So, Matthew, go back to the hospitality. To quote Max Verstappen, I wouldn't expect any presents from the stewards, guys. <laughs> I was just going to say, I had uh, Schumacher and Mazepin, I think, like we all that's did. A, that's a given. Raikkonen. That's a given. Yeah, that, that's kind of a given with this category now. But I think the big miss that I had was I had Esteban Ocon in my bottom five. I was just about to ask you, like, how mad are you about that call? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I find him so frustrating, right? Like, he's kind of my Sonoda, right? Like, anytime I tend to pick him to do well, he shits the bed. And when I say, okay, you know what? He's going to go out in Q1 like he does from time to time. He ends up finishing P5. Like, a great race. Or winning the race. Yeah, or winning the race. That's right. No, that's fair. All right, let's get to uh, the race top five where we had a couple of blanks, but I'm taking a million and a half points because Phil called it Hamilton won, and frankly... He doesn't do that, so he did it on my behalf. So, what'd you do, Professor? He's speechless. I love it. He just can't say a word right now. I was looking at something while I was trying to do, uh, you know. Anyway, don't do two things at a time, guys. No, I did have Hamilton and Verstappen in that order, which is unbelievable. But then I was expecting Gasly and, and Bottas to do better than they did. Same with Lando Norris. Okay, so let's talk <clears> about that Norris. start, because yeah. what the hell was that? Like... I thought Gasly was going to actually race, and Allo, no, Allo's Allo, right? Like, he just did his thing. I didn't expect him to do any more than he did, but, like, I mean, the guy's in seventh. You've got Bottas in fifth, and then, or in, what, sixth, I think, or something like that? It was, I don't know, six and nine or something. Whatever it was, like, it was not that a lap later, and it was like these guys just kind of moved aside. It was a goofball start. Wow, I mean, talk about going with tinfoil hat moments. We should have brought that up earlier, Randy. We expect all the soft tire starters to just surround and swarm Lewis Hamilton and overtake him. Didn't happen. Right? I This yeah. is what I thought was going to happen. It was like Lewis was going to run into traffic because he's got all of these red wall tires right around him. He's playing on the yellows. And frankly, this is one of those weeks where I, again, did not call that yellows were going to make the difference. And sure enough, they exactly did that. And for our listeners, yellow wall tires are the medium compound tires. It means that the compound on the tire, the rubber compound, is probably kind of similar to your summer tires if you change it to true summers instead of all seasons, right? They're soft enough, but not so soft that they stick to the ground unless you're riding Pirellis on an AMG-like Spence. But it's just, it is what it is. So I thought these red wall tires were going to just swarm them, but didn't happen. Not even the least. So my question actually ends up being, is it possibly because of how the tires are keeping the temperatures? So those cars that were at the front, they weren't expecting to be so far off and had to start on the red tires. They would have been sitting on the grid a little bit longer than they'd initially anticipated. And I think, I, I wonder if that had something to do with it. If the yellow wall tires kept their heat and, and, and core temperature just a little bit better for the start of the Grand Prix and the red walls just dissipated a little bit too quickly. Well, Professor, that brings the bigger question about low sale, right? Like, was this a engine testing track or a tire testing track? Because, like, it seems like tires made the difference all the day today. Whereas we'd say, you look back at Brazil, you look back at Mexico, those were all engine and maybe a little bit of body construction. But, like, today was all about tires. 
I think. Well, I, I'm going to say we had a great mix of engine suppliers, both in the top three and the top 10. Like Renault was in there, Mercedes, Honda, Ferrari showed up twice. Yeah, I think the circuit didn't challenge and force the differences that truly exist between the engines as much. And so you're just seeing the, the disparity with the tires more than anything, right? Yeah. Maybe I should have said something more uh, controversial. The second half of dead air, because it was like, well, wait, wait, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Randy just said he agrees with me. Oh, no, no, I said I said hey. agree with what you said, not agree with you. Just oh, <laughs> a sensible comment was made, and we all agreed, and dead air ensued. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, it's like a sensible comment on the internet. What the hell, man? Do better, <laughs> fellas. Do better. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. It will be more controversial yeah. as I award myself another million points. I predicted the top five: Hamilton, Verstappen, Gasly. Okay, he didn't show up, but I did predict Alonso would finish fourth, and he got on the podium in third. So that's uh, full points to me for that. Quite frankly, I don't think so. That yours yeah. is the yellows, and I see a bodass on there. Yeah, don't worry about it. Ah, <laughs> yes, it's the Russell Peters Indian dad defense. He's okay. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I see where we're at. That's fine. Spence, what would you have predicted, given the hindsight? Yeah, so look, I'll just say I had every intention of filling out this bingo card last night. Yeah. My wife and I hosted a, a bunch of people at her house for a party. First time we've done that in a quite a long time, more than two years, I guess. And I kind of got overserved by whoever the guy who was hosting the party and pouring the drinks, which I guess was me. So I overserved myself and fell asleep before I could get my picks up. Now, if I had picked, I think I probably would have had my race top five with, you know, I would have said Lewis first, probably with Verstappen second. I absolutely would have picked Alonso for third. So with all that being said, I think I'll take seven trillion points and just yeah, call myself you do that and i'm gonna take eight and a half trillion for being overserved so we're gonna get back to phil but let's talk fastest pit stop because pit stops really made a difference today i saw a couple that i was like what oh okay red bull did one 2.1 seconds yeah yeah 2.19 seconds fastest pit stop and that's with like the human reaction ferrari right? did one at 229 and mercedes did one at 231 and mclaren did 232 and this is with all the changes that the FIA made to try to slow pit stops down. Sorry, Phil, to slow Red Bull down. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry, slow Red Bull down. Right. I got to get my simple yeah, hat yeah. back on again. You know, it's incredible. Honestly, I mean, you think about it, how they're changing four tires in that amount of time. It's crazy. Well, and this is wild, right? Like, that is far better choreographed than the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Like, that was something. Sorry, guys. I just I had to make fun of a ballet because it's just one of those things. And it's Winnipeg. Who cares? Does it, Winnipeg have a ballet? The Royal Winnipeg Ballet is actually pretty. Uh, those guys got skills. It's one of the greatest ballets in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys got skills. But this was true choreography, like true choreography. Holy jeez, man. Like RBR just had some on a go. And yeah, that was interesting. Well, both Phil and I get a million points for predicting Red Bull to have the fastest stop, of course. Yeah. Flag distribution we're not going to talk about because we've talked a lot about it in the tinfoil section. So, unpredictabilities and go wilds. What do you guys think? So, uh, unpredictable thing that will happen. I get a trillion and a half plus million points. That I said one of Alonzo or Gasly will be on the podium. No, I don't think you can get points for saying one of. You have to be decisive. Yeah. Show me a rule, Phil. It says I can't do that. All right. You know what? If we have to start writing rule books for these things, Randy, it's going to be a trouble. 
Yeah, next week my pick is going to be one of the cars on wheels will finish the race <laughs> yeah, first. Yeah, and you'll get two points for that. It's great. <laughs> I love it. All right. Any other wild picks here? Uh, let's see. Allo takes out Hamilton. Allo takes out Hamilton? Really, Phil? Oh, oh you wanted me to be unpredictable. I was like, you know what? First corner, Allo's behind Hamilton. Yeah, I could see it happening. It didn't. That's fine. You know, it was sort of wild, right? Go wild. Yeah, I think we were all predicting, like, just chaos. Like, you said that. I said Max and Lewis are going to have a coming together. And then you said six cars are going to be taken out because of the curbs. I was predicting red flag. We you know were what? all predicting that carnage. call, yeah. actually, that six cars get taken out because of curb. I do think that Phil gets at least 50 points for that because that happened. Like that, I don't think I have an official count, but the curbs really were brutal. Oh, the circuit eight cars all weekend. It just eats them up all weekend. It's crazy. Holy jeez. Like how many new chassis were there, right? We had two chassis changes, one for Mazepin, yeah. one for Leclerc. Like the actual carbon fiber tub of the cars got cracked. And this is the super aggressive curbs. If you watch it and you see the circuit, there's purple and white curbs. And then there's green and white curbs. The green and white curbs are very, very rough. And then we lost Gasly. And how many cars lost tires? Four cars in the race? Four, I believe. Four. Yeah, so it's both Williams and Norris and Elbot. So, yeah. Jeez. So if you drive an AMG-powered vehicle and you have Pirelli tires, you should be worried. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I am always, <laughs> sir. Always. Check that front left when we drive back to Vancouver. Don't worry. I'm going to be driving back to Vancouver uh, so slowly with everything going on on the highways up here that yeah, it's like, not going to matter. Basically, I'll, at this point, it. Spence is just having that thing converted into yeah. a DeLorean hovercraft type of uh, vehicle from Back to the Future, right? Like, roads? We don't need roads. Yeah. We're BC. <laughs> well, that's another edition of Box, Box, Box Bingo. Let's take up the point tally. Spence walks away with six points. Phil gets nine. Gareth gets uh, one quadrillion, 273, which gets reduced to minus three. And I'm taking infinite points because I'm the host and fuck you all. So here we go to penalty props and steward's sewer. I know that's where you all want to go. I mean, we went there with didn't have a bit, but track limits, really? Last week, you didn't call track limits, and all of a sudden, you've got, like, 19 rules about them? I am absolutely utterly... Can we call... I mean, is there anything worse we could call Stuart Sewer? Because I feel like they're heading down that path. It's frustrating that the track limits change wherever they are. Well, and from session to session, quite frankly. Yeah, it should be the white line regardless. Don't cross the white line or keep at least one part of the car within the white line. I don't know, but... Hell, like this idea where this time on these six corners, you can use the curb as long as it's not all over. If you want to, because it destroys the car. Or it's, you know, on these one or two or three or four corners, you cannot go any further, but fill your boots on every other corner on the circuit. It, it's just ridiculous. It really is. There was some interesting team radio that Unfiltered F1 had put up on YouTube today from Valtteri's car during qualifying. And, you know, his engineer comes over the horn and says, Valtteri, that lap has been deleted. Track limits, turn seven. And he says back, he's like, you know, but they're not monitoring track limits at turn seven. And the response back to him is, yeah, they're making it up as they go. <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah, right? Go check like, it out. Honestly, at one point I commented to another friend of mine who has not guested with us yet, but she will at some point. I was like, look, 
You know what? Just fire the stewards and hire freaking boxing refs to do it. Literally, like, anytime somebody falls down, then you may finally make a call, because, you know, it's worse than a proper eight count to have these calls. It's ridiculous, honestly, and how they come up with these things halfway through. They seem to change their mind. So I agree with Phil and with Martin Brundle, favorite cranky old British men, that, yeah, it should be the white line. That's the edge of the track. That is your field of play, like any other sport. You can't kick the soccer ball out of touch. Run down behind the benches, come back on and score. But in this case, you know, LaSalle was a new circuit. They did have to make it up as they went because they were learning the new circuit. But the entire problem is it ought to be the white line everywhere you go. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with you, right? If you're in a volleyball game and you serve and it goes beyond the back line, it's not like, oh, well, your feet happen to be off the ground when you return the ball. It's out, right? Like boundaries are boundaries. Yeah, but circling back to the discussion we had before about technical penalties, yellow flags, DRS flaps, the edge of the course is a quantitative measure. They have the tools to measure that. Measure it and enforce it. Yeah. Be done with it. Because if you do that, we'll never have to talk about it again. Yeah, but be consistent. Like, just whatever you do, do it everywhere. Yeah, do it at every single track. Here's the white line. That's the edge. If you go all four wheels over the white line, you're off the bloody circuit. I love that our entire podcast is like, you know what? There should just be an offsides rule in Formula One, you know, yeah. just like there is in soccer. But I kind of agree with it. You know yeah. what? If you're past it, then frankly, you're just done. Like, just get off and give the place back and let them race again. And this is a comment I made, I think, on my work F1 channel. I was like, well, I'm hoping it's a let them race weekend. And everybody's like, what the hell do you mean by that, Brad? And I'm like, well... If you're going to steward, steward. But if you're going to not steward, then just shut up about track limits and shut up about all the other rules and let them race unless somebody does something egregious. Like, what the hell else are you there for? Yeah, you're enforcing safety limits. Stop pretending like you're actually enforcing the sport and the spirit of the sport because you're really not. That's right. I said it, Phil. They're really not. Wow. Randy's agreed. Well, when I watch football, when I watch soccer which can be the same sport for some people. When I watch basketball, even baseball has a foul line. And if you hit it outside the foul line, it's a damn foul. It doesn't count for anything. Like, that's just what it is. And baseball is a sport where nothing friggin' happens. I love it so much, but nothing friggin' happens. And they still have a line that says, if you hit it outside this line, nothing, nothing really happened. You know, I really don't know any other sport where out of bounds varies so much. Well, golf, but that's you know. only when you're playing with your friends. I mean, if, in a professional sayer. Hey, golf is super easy. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you say that again, Spence? No, but that's correct. Like, name another professional sport. You yeah. can go off the field to play. I mean, golf is, I mean, it kind of depends, right? Like, you can go play a shot from across the street if you'd like. But there are some places where there are very strictly defined out-of-bounds. And when your ball is touching that line, like you're done. Like the only sport, you know, again, bobsledding, which I watched before the F1 today, right? Like if you go out of bounds, you're basically on your head in that. Well, I was going to say out of bounds there means you're dead. Yeah. And at some point, like speed sports have just got to be that. Like you cross the line, you cross the line. In golf, yeah, you can shoot from across the street, but you're still taking at least a stroke penalty, if not taking the 12, because frankly, if you're that far out, why the hell you play in the game in the first place? And that's not saying that you shouldn't have corporate tournaments because that's the only kind of time that thing happens. I'm, I'm defending golf, Spence. Like, 
I'm doing my best. I'm trying. Okay. I'm trying. Hey, we need more golfists in the world too, Randy. I can take you out. I we'll go play. I think you'll take me out if we go play because you'll just be so mad. <laughs> 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 Should we even call them stewards anymore? Like, I think that name is a misnomer. Steward means you protect the thing, but they're refs or umps or something else. They're not stewards. I don't know. Phil, back me up here. I agree with you. They are refs, they're umpires, but that's the name that Formula One has for them, right? Their function is to make sure that the rules that are there are interpreted properly by the teams and the drivers and followed. Can't help it that they get it wrong most of the time. Under the current sporting rules, all members of the Flippin' F1 panel have been called to the stewards under the douchebag rule for talking badly about the stewards. We actually now call the douchebag rule the Horner rule. The Horner rule. <laughs> Sorry, correction. The Spice Boy rule applies to Flippin' F1. <laughs> I don't know if we've actually talked about that, but Christian Horner got summoned to the stewards for the whole saying there was a rogue marshal waving the yellow flag, and he was forced to apologize, apologize to the marshal go do a stewarding course, and he was reprimanded, as he should be. No, I disagree. You know, it's not like they physically went up to him and said, you failed this, everything like this. It's, it's like us saying that the stewards are crap. Why can't they say it? He didn't say it about the stewards, Phil. No, he, he said, said it about, about the marshal. marshal. The marshals and the stewards are two different people. The stewards are volunteers, and this weekend was the FIA Volunteer Recognition Weekend who literally have lives in their hands. And it's a level of criticism that that particular marshal would not have a platform with which to defend themselves. And this is like heckling people counting ballots in election. No, I don't agree. I don't agree with you on that analogy at all. Yes, the marshals are volunteers for the most part when they're at these tracks and they have people's lives in their hands, absolutely. But at what point can we not call out that we may think that something was a mistake? You know what? Just because you you're can saying call it something doesn't out mean... as a mistake. Yes. So, but a saying rogue marshal is marshal. the same thing. Mm. It's the word choice. You know, I got to agree with this from the outside of F1 perspective, right? Because in any other sport, if you go on TV and you call an ump or a ref or this, that, and the next thing rogue, you're going to get fined a good $25,000, $50,000. We've seen this with basketball, with hockey, with baseball, with curling. I've seen this. Like, this happens in any other sport. Yes, I watch curling. Shut up. But ultimately, you can criticize the calls, but if you actually criticize the person, you will get fined for it. Yeah, that's fine. I just don't agree. That's my bottom line. I don't agree with in those contexts either. So, there we go. Tune are. in for Phil's curling podcast where he talks about refing and curling. Please, no. There isn't enough coffee in the world to keep me awake for that. As Phil kills our entire Canadian audience. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm just going to read you some. This is uh, official document 52 from the weekend. And it's, you know, official warning issued to Mr. Horner. It's a breach of two different articles of the Sporting Code. I've read it. Calling him a rogue marshal. And Christian Horner, well, my reaction was made under pressure of competition following the penalty. This is the key. The stewards explained that the marshal concerned was doing his job precisely the manner prescribed in the International Sporting Code. So you've got somebody who's there yep. helping the safety and security of the sport, doing their job exactly as they are supposed to. 
who then has somebody who is in an immense position of power say that you are rogue, you are wrong, you've done the wrong thing. No, it's not on. And he was called on that. And we've talked about, Phil, the, let's call it, the tribalism, the balkanization of the sport, which is bad. Netflix stopped writing that into the script. You don't need people yelling at the people who are trying to make it run this way. Total Wolf. So let me ask the question. Christian Horner, did he, he go up and yell at the guy or did he make an opinion statement? He made an opinion statement about the veracity of somebody's job. All right. So he did not go up and accuse the guy. He did not go up and confront he the guy. He publicly accused the guy. He made a public statement that he felt that it's he, a public he felt. accusation, Phil. Yes, he made a public accusation. Yeah, he accused the person of being rogue. Breached the FIA sporting code. The stewards looked at it. He followed the rules. We anyway, established. We I don't necessarily on. agree with that process, and that's fine. We can go on. Okay, but there's a line. Like, no, there's a line. It has to be. Yeah, it has yeah, to be somewhere, like, and there's civility and propriety. A CEO can't go off on a single employee or a single role and not expect that he's going to get fired or she's going to get fired either, right? Like that. That is how business in North America, at least, has worked for years. Like you can say we are not doing this, but the moment you put the you to it, or you put a role to it, or a thing. Then you're into other, I mean, I don't let the lawyers handle this, but. Well, I don't, I'm not a litigator, but I do a little bit of advocacy work. And this is like me publicly stating that that particular judge or justice of the peace or member of the tribunal or whatever is rogue. I can say they were incorrect in what they did as part of my appeal or whatever it is, but I cannot go out and accuse them of being rogue or deceitful or wrong or anything like that. But I can say, they were wrong in applying the regulations and the laws that they were supposed to uphold. But I can't impugn their character. And calling somebody a rogue marshal, that's impugning the character. Although I feel like Rogue Marshal would be a wicked ska band name. I'm just saying, for those of us who listen to ska, like... I actually feel like it would be the great follow-on series to Walker, Texas Ranger, Rogue Marshal, U.S. Marshal. I kind of like that, too. I kind of like that, too. Chris Rock is Walker, <laughs> runner, Texas Ranger, runner, Texas Ranger. Rogue Marshal. All right, so let's go to Winter Wow because we're kind of at the end of this particular race. All right, Phil, your three takeaways from this week team or driver, overall venue, and future of the sport. Tell me about it, man. Team and driver, it's going to be Alpine. I absolutely loved what they did this weekend. It was fantastic to see Alonso on the podium and where they started. I thought Ocon drove a fabulous race as well, actually. So from their side, I think they've got a lot of opportunity. if They can just make their cars and engines work a little bit better. Overall race venue, you know, I do hope we don't go back there, but I'm not of the same opinion as Gareth is. I think we'll be back there one more time at least. I don't see them having another circuit ready in 2023 when we're supposed to be back in Qatar. So I, I don't enjoy that track, to be honest with you. And then the future of the sport, you know, we're coming down to the wire. It's the final two races. I'm excited to see what happens. Excited to see if Jeddah actually happens. But it looks like the construction's going to get to the point where they can race. And I think, yeah, we're going to see the Hamilton-Verstappen battle come right down to the wire in Abu Dhabi. And there's going to be some tears for, for somebody. 
All right. Gareth, give me your winter wow. So Bill stole mine, but I'll, I'll pick it up, is Alpine has done a fantastic job. They knocked it out of the park this weekend. Coming into the weekend, they were tied for fifth with Alpha Tauri. Like on 112 points, it went to the countback of who had more wins, and Alpine was technically ahead on wins. But they put 25 points on Alpha Tauri this weekend, which is huge. Alpha Tower really messed up their strategy. Alpine brought a great car and their strategy was fantastic, as Phil said. This is very likely the thing that secures them fifth in the Constructors' Championship rather than sixth. And that's worth tens of millions of euros. So great team performance there this weekend. The venue observation, we talked about it. The track eats cars. Hopefully we won't be back. I think the speculation from the commentators was that there'll be a city circuit of some sort. We'll show up in 2023. but you know, Phil, who knows? You could be right. Strange of things that happen. In terms of the future of the sport thought, well, there's two. There's the sports washing discussion we had earlier that we will part to later. You know, it's an issue that has to be at least discussed. I mean, F1's never going to deal with it. They will follow the money. But my other kind of future of the sport thought is this was the triple header at the end of the season. I think I watched the team principal's press conference from Friday. We saw you know, Christian Horner's little outburst about the marshal. We saw Lewis looking really tired on the podium. He'd been sick earlier this weekend. Everybody looked really friggin' beat up at this triple header at the end of the season. F1 may want to consider not doing triple headers this late in the season going forward for future seasons. And you see finger trouble at Haas and some other stuff. It's like people aren't as sharp as they otherwise would be. Yeah, that's fair. Vince? Well, I mean, a lot of what I wanted to talk about, I think we've already covered, so I won't rehash it here. But, you know, the one thing that I'd like to bring up, and I feel like I'm picking on these guys a lot in this segment, is McLaren. They really have not had it the last kind of seven or eight, like really since Danny Rick, you know, had that win in Monza. It's been really tough sledding for them and in both cars. Lando has had a terrible run of luck lately. I know he had kind of the hard luck puncture today, but... they are just getting uh, crushed by Ferrari and have been since they brought that that last power upgrade. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it looks to me like third place in the constructors is that's a pipe dream at this point for them. And if I'm Lando, I'm wondering if Leclerc and my good buddy Carlos Sainz are going to pass me in the drivers uh, championship. It sure looks like that's the way it's heading. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yep. We're starting to see the, kind of the delta show up in the very close constructor races that were there for third and fourth and fifth and sixth. All right, so I got to do this because we use this term all the time, and I think we all know what it means. When we say the delta, right, like most of our listeners aren't engineers, and so like when they hear the delta, they're like, what, the hotel is changing? They're flying a different airline? Like, what the hell is the delta? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The airline's getting shittier. Hi, delta. Wait, we're not getting sponsored by them. Delta just means difference. It's Greek letter or Greek symbol. It is commonly used in math and engineering for difference. And speaking of which, like the difference between Ferrari and McLaren is what, 49 and a half points. McLaren is not getting third. Ferrari's got it. You're not going to make up 50 points less whatever the other delta is in the next two races. Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to go into that. So, I mean, I'll say my driver or team observation, and we've been talking about McLaren, we've talked about Alpine, but I will say Ferrari has 
kicked on to something and it's clear that they're developing for next year. And I think that's exciting, right? I think it'd be nice to see the Prancing Horses back up in the race. I'll put it that way. It'll be nice to see them there. Nice to see them push. But we talked about this before. They've got two drivers that can race. And if you give them a good car, if you give them a car that can compete, they'll bring it on. And that's really exciting. And I actually say this about Aston Martin too, though, right? Like, Seb brought that Aston way beyond what we thought it was going to do this weekend, and it did very well. So I, I think that I will say Ferrari and Seb at Aston, I'm not going to... Lance Stroll, actually, at Aston brought it way beyond. Stroll finished sixth this weekend. I know, but I mean, even though he's Canadian, I have something about not talking about Lance, so I'm not going <laughs> to... Story on Life, I know that loses that sponsorship, too. Again, Spence, you made a comment, and I, I think of the comments that I read in our text chat, this is the one I agreed with the most, is why the hell does this need to be part of our zeitgeist in F1 right now? Like, I, I don't really need this race. And whether or not it's low sale, or if they finally do like a street circuit in low sale, and I, I get that, right? Like, oh, if we do it a street circuit, then it's kind of like Monaco-esque, but I'm like, nah, I don't care. Right. I, I don't need to be there. I think, yes, Marina, I think the Middle East is well represented. What I want to see is where they're not. Right. So I'm kind of with Lewis a little bit like go back to the continent, go race in South Africa or build a track in Uganda or, or something like that. And yes, cash is king, Phil. That's the bottom line. That's the thing. The sport is about money. You can't run a multi-hundred million, a multi, almost a billion dollar billion. sport without money. And where is money in the world right now? You know, it isn't in Uganda. It isn't in South Africa. It isn't even in continental Europe anymore. And I hear that argument all the time. We'll talk about this during the end of your special. I hear that <laughs> argument all the time. But every one of those countries that you just mentioned also has a soccer team that plays out millions of dollars in something else right and cars are everywhere and i can f1 to premier league soccer in a way and i i find it difficult to say that you can have a premier league soccer team here but you can't have an f1 race like no that doesn't play right for me and i know that's a future of the sport thought but i think my future of the sport thought is yeah great race in the middle east but i think Take a five rings approach. Like, let's make sure we're racing at every sort of major landfall in the world and that we're everywhere, that F1 is a universal sport, that we're racing there. And my other kind of future of the sport thought is shut up, Spice Boy, and just race or let them race. And you know what? I say the same thing to Mr. Kansas, right? Like, your little dog, too. Like, just shut up and let them race, right? Did you get that one, Phil? <laughs> Like, do you know who I was talking about? Dorothy. Dorothy. I know, I know. Right, like, I know, yeah, okay. I know. It was a, God. <laughs> it is what it is. Anyways. Well, I have one more comment before we say goodnight on that with the cash is king. Liberty Media is a publicly traded company with actually a bunch of tracking stocks. Andrew Spencer loves a tracking stock. The commercial rights holder is a publicly traded company. Their yeah. entire raison d'etre is increasing returns to shareholders. But it also has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how much it takes to cost and run a race. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can't run a race for $10 million. It's going to cost you much more than that. And so finding the places that have the $100 million or more to build a racetrack, host a racetrack, run it, and all the peripherals that go along with it, 
are very, very... There's a reason we're not at Snedderton or Mosport. And those reasons are, A, the tracks aren't built to the current standards, and B, they're not going to pay the whatever the multi-million dollar annual hosting fee is. Oh, that makes sense. All right. Well, that said, that's another night of Winger Win. In fact, the checkered flag comes down on another episode of Flippin' F1, where, you know what? We chatted, we laughed, we cried, we made Phil mad. And frankly, that's what we go out to do. Only Phil cried. <laughs> so, you know, we'll just put him in the East because that's what the best bridge place is. Yeah, Phil really appreciates these old man jokes. I'm just saying, when my hair goes as gray, you can make the same ones. Yeah, you have to have hair to go gray, though, Randy. That's the only point I'm going to make. <laughs> That's my point. Think I'm not strategic? <laughs> All right, boys. Say goodnight. See you, guys. Good night. Night. All right, good night. If you're enjoying Flippin' F1, throw us a comment. Even better, throw us a few stars. Two, three, a four would be nice. If you've got a five, then you're just in love with Gareth, and that's fine. Join my fan club. There's a Patreon and an OnlyFans. It is what it is. Thanks again. We'll see you next time at, at Flippin' F1. Bye.